Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. And that's a familiar passage, right? We know it. Couples, you know, uh, might be arguing before they go to bed, and it's one of these things where it's like, no, we can't let the sun go down upon our wrath. We need to give this to the Lord before we go to bed tonight. It's it's very uh, important to the Lord. It says, need to give place to the devil. And what I want to talk to you all this morning, what I believe the Lord's put on my heart to share with you this morning, is how does God's Word instruct the believer, the Christian, man and woman and young person, to when it comes to our dealings with the devil, when it comes to our dealings with our enemy. We have a very real enemy. And what does God's Word have to say about it? Not just superstitions or you know, myth kind of stuff, but what does God's Word say about the believer and our attitude with the devil and our, our mindset when it comes to the devil, our actions when it comes to Satan? Uh, basically, how much time should we give the devil? You know, what kind of attention should we give to the devil? And, and I want to start by talking just a little bit. It's going to start out just giving a little background and, and, uh, and move on from there, this message, but... The Bible says that He is our adversary. And it's a very telling word. The, the word literally means Satan is our adversary. Okay, You look up adversary and it means our arch enemy. All right, our arch enemy. He's not just someone that's neutral. He's not just someone that doesn't like us a little bit. If you even picture like in comic books, you know, Superman's arch enemy would be Lex Luthor, right? You know, there's an arch enemy. Now that's kind of silly, but this is not silly at all. We have an arch enemy, all right? And another definition for that word is an, our opponent in a lawsuit. So think about that. Satan is our opponent in a lawsuit. He is like, I, I would picture that as fighting over uh, what God has pronounced over our lives as believers. We're in Christ. There's no condemnation, which is a legal term. We're justified and righteous in the Lord, and Satan is always opposing that. He's in opposing it to our minds, making us think we're not saved. And if you're a Christian, you really wouldn't do this. And all kinds of things that Satan wants to bring into our lives. But both, I think, are appropriate when it comes to Satan being our adversary, which he is. He is a thief. And the Bible says, Jesus said of him, that he came only to, the thief cometh not but for, okay, to steal and to kill and to destroy. He is very good at it. He has had uh, 6,000 years on this earth to perfect his craft of stealing, killing, and destroying. And so I'm going to give you other, other uh, biblical truths about the devil. He's a liar and the father of lies. And what a contrast when you think about our Lord, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of spirits, so the father of all creation. Okay, And then here we come to Satan, who's the father of lies. He's a liar. And he's the father of lies. And so uh, he's wicked. He is a created being. He's not uncreated. Only the Lord himself is uncreated. All right. Satan is a created being. He has great intelligence. He's very active. He's not just sitting around, uh, you know, and then he says, oh, I guess I'll go get busy now. Uh, in Job, he, there's a time where the sons of God 
appeared before the Lord. And, and you don't have to turn there, but in Job chapter 1, and the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou, Satan? Or what have you been doing? Where have you been? And Satan, and Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walk, walking up and down in it. I just picture him just all over this earth, just walk, going all over the place. Okay? And he actually rules over a demonic host, the Bible tells us, right? That when he fell, and we're going to look at the fall of Satan here in just a moment, that he drew a third of the angels with him, with his, his tail that says he drew them out, but really it was with his, his deception. And that's his number one uh, tool, would be deception, okay? So, uh, he, in his beauty and in his pride, he was the anointed cherub, the Bible says, of God. He was an angelic being in heaven from eternity past whenever the Lord created him. And he was beautiful. And he had this special place in, in the heavenly host. And in his pride, he got lifted up in himself. And we're going to read a couple of scriptures. I want to read one that I have written down, and then we'll turn to one. But I'll just read this from Ezekiel. There's a long passage there, but a couple of scriptures if you ever want to study this and, and talk about where was the fall of Satan. Where do we read that? We read it in Ezekiel 28. And I'm going to start reading in verse 15. But it says, But that thou was perfect in thy ways. This is the Lord speaking of Satan after he's fallen, or Lucifer. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. Okay? Iniquity was found in him. Thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground, the Lord says. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Now turn with me if you would in Isaiah. There's more scriptures that we can read. But just for time's sake this morning, this is what we're going to read. Isaiah 14. And I want to read starting in verse uh, 12. We're going to read 12 through 15. I want you to notice as I read through this passage what Satan says and how many times he uses the word I in here. Okay? It is to be about the Lord. Somehow Satan got it in his mind. It was all about him. It's something we could really learn from that, all of us, even in in the church. So Isaiah 14.12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, here we go, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Can you imagine? He's really saying, I'm going to set myself up above this God that created me. I'm so beautiful. And he really must have been. Okay? The Lord created him that way in beauty. But he he got corrupted in his wisdom. He got lifted up in his pride. And he says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Listen, I will sit upon the mount of the congregation. That's where the Lord sits in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Does that sound familiar? With the, the, the lie he told Eve in the garden? Right? You eat this fruit, your eyes will be open. You'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. I will be like the Most High. And then the Lord pronounces, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell. I'm so glad I know God. I'm so glad He's in control. I'm so glad we serve the Almighty God to the sides of the pit. Okay? But He is a deceiver. 
He's an angel of light, Paul says to the Corinthians. And so no wonder that his ministers or his servants can appear the same way as angels of light. They can and they do. And it was wonderful. Like I keep referring back to Amber and Reynolds in the Sunday school class, but they talked about deception. Talked about deception. And Satan is a deceiver. But he is also, the Bible says, as a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. So he's out there. The Lord's come to seek and save the lost. He's looking for hurting people, lost people, that he can bring to himself and save through his blood. They will put their faith in him, and by his grace, he'll save. Satan is walking about through the earth, seeking whom he may devour. We have to understand, he can appear really nice and sweet. He can appear like a gray-headed old grandma, you know, that makes you brownies and apple pie if he wants to appear that way. But he is, he is who he is. He's a liar and the father of lies, and he's our arch enemy. He's our adversary. He's powerful, okay? Now, what is to be the believer's attitude or dealings, I guess you would say, or interactions with the devil? How is the born-again man and woman to deal with the devil? We could, we could help talk a lot more about him and his power, and we're going to touch on a little bit more, but basically, what is to be our attitude? And I'm going to start by saying what should not be our attitude. Our attitude towards Satan should not be one of mocking or ridicule. And sometimes you'll hear that. I guess I've heard it more maybe just in charismatic kind of churches where, where they almost ridicule the devil and just laugh at him. But we don't see that in the Bible. We don't see anybody laughing in, in the sense of belittling him. And so I, don't, I think it's unwise to do that. I don't believe that that's biblical to minimize him, to ridicule, to ignore him. Uh, we certainly should not pretend like he doesn't exist either. Like some people will say, oh, I believe in God, but I don't believe in the devil. You ever heard that? Yeah. I, and a lot of times lost people will say that, or maybe people in church, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Satan or the devil. Well, Jesus believed there was a devil. He came and tempted him in the wilderness. You know what I mean? The Lord created him and kicked him out of heaven. The Lord believes in a devil. Not his faith in him, but he believes in him. And so we're also not to be uh, ignorant of his devices, the Bible says, right? We're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. And devices simply means that Satan has his purposes, his intellect, his thought. He has a purpose. Satan has a purpose. And we're not to be ignorant of that purpose or of his intellect or his thoughts. That Satan has a plan. Satan has a purpose. There's a wonderful scripture I think is very telling. I'm just going to read it, but in Jude, verse 9, and it's speaking about this exact thing, our interaction with the devil. And, and one little verse here, Jude 9 says, Yet Michael the archangel, picture Michael the archangel. He is like the, the, the angel for the nation of Israel. He's their protector. We see him, he's very prominent in the Scriptures. Okay, Yet Michael the archangel, and this is something we don't have a lot of background, we're just going to take it from what it is. Okay? When contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Did durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, "The Lord rebuke thee." So here's the Michael the archangel who's on a mission from God. Something about Moses' body to bring it from where it was, and Satan was fighting with him over it, obviously. And and so here's Michael the archangel with an order from God and the power of God behind his life. He's a messenger and a minister of the Lord. 
And he comes against Satan. They're disputing over someone in the middle. It's Moses' body. And he says he did not bring against him a railing accusation. He didn't just hurl insults and things like this at him. He said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. I think that's important. The Bible gives us that Scripture for a reason. And so we're looking about what should be our attitude towards the devil or the believer's interaction with Satan. And we have to understand he has an agenda. He has a purpose. And that purpose is against your life. It's not for you. He can act like he's for you for a little while, but ultimately get down the road. He knows what he has planned for your life. Okay? It's kind of like in Islam. Islam says it's okay to lie if it furthers the cause of Islam. So they'll lie and say, we want to make peace with Israel. Okay, but really, what do they repeat 24-7? The little school kids, all the way up, death to Israel, we want to wipe them off the map. So if it, if it benefits them at the right moment to say, we're going to shake hands and make a peace treaty and a peace agreement with a big smile, it's a lie. Their ultimate purpose is to wipe Israel off the map. Now God's the defender of Israel, and they're going to go through a lot, but He has a plan to redeem them. That's another story. The point is, that Satan has a purpose against your life. I don't care how friendly he may seem. I don't care. It doesn't matter. His, his purpose is against you. His desire is to shipwreck your faith. If you're born again already, you belong to the Lord. He doesn't have you anymore. Before you were saved, the Bible says we lied in the embrace. The whole world lies in the embrace of the wicked one. Okay? Now we're born again. We're part of the kingdom of God. Even on this earth, we're part translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear Son. Satan still wants to vex your life. He still wants to make shipwreck your faith. And if we let him, he can. Okay? If we let him, he can. But that's, he's, he's not for you. He's against your family. He's against your church. He's against your faith in the Lord. Now, having said this, uh, the child of God is not to be preoccupied with Satan. We're not to be preoccupied with the devil. We're not to be preoccupied with demonic activity and what we think the devil's up to every day. We're not told to get up every day and set our eyes on Satan and see what he's doing. We're told to get up every day and fix our eyes upon the Lord by faith. So it's important. And there's a balance, okay? There's a biblical balance. We get it from the Scriptures. And we can be, uh, some people, I think it's, un, it's very unscriptural and unhealthy biblically, spiritually, to be preoccupied with Satan and his activities. Okay, again, there's a balance. There's Christians that can focus so much attention on the devil and actually give him too much credit, give him too much time in their life, too much of their thoughts are spent on Satan and what is he up to now. I believe we keep our eyes on Jesus. He'll whisper in our ear and tell us, Hey, that person just came and joined your church. You need to watch out. Something's they're sent there by the devil. I think the Lord could show us that if that was the case. Okay, and so um, I've heard people again. A, a lot of the times when I've heard it, it's been typically more in like a charismatic type um, setting. But still, it's like something they give so much credit and so much attention to the devil and what he's doing. If they have a cough or they sneeze, they they think it's a demon of cough, you know, or a, a sneeze. It's, uh, their team misses a free throw in a basketball game. They thought Satan missed a, made him miss the free throw. It's too much. Okay, that's not 
that's not healthy, okay? It, it's just too much. It's not, they're just looking for it in every shadow and behind every tree. They think is a demon going to jump out and try to overcome their life. We're to walk in faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? We're not to live in fear of the devil. So that's one thing I can tell you for sure. We're not to live in fear of the devil. We don't bring against him a real accusation. We're not ignorant of his devices. We don't minimize or ridicule. But we're not to live in fear of him or be preoccupied with him and his activities against our lives. So we, we understand what he's doing. The Bible says, Jesus said in John chapter 10, he says, Fear them not which, are able, which kill the body, but are not able to destroy the soul. But rather fear him, that's the Lord which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. That's not the Satan, that's not the devil that's able to destroy your body and soul in hell. He does not have that power. He's going to be tormented in hell himself. Alright? And so we're to fear God. And the Bible says, but sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Alright? So fear God and fear him only. Don't fear men. Don't fear evil men. Don't fear the devil. Fear God. I'm talking about a healthy reverential fear that above all, I don't want to displease Him. I don't want to disobey Him. The Lord also fills us with the love for, for Him. So, But our focus and attention must be on Christ the Lord. This sounds very simple and basic, but it's very, I believe, very needed. Our faith and our confidence must be solely and in, in, uh, squarely in Jesus Christ. That's where our focus has to be. Upon the risen Savior, our gaze. I think it's how T. Austin Sparks puts it. The gaze of our soul has to be upon Jesus. What is your soul just gazing on? Morning, noon, and night. You wake up. And David said, I set the Lord always before me. I set the Lord always before me. Okay? And the gaze of our soul has to be on the Lord. Trusting in the Lord. The Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. So we're safe by running. The devil comes against your life. He will. He does. He will again. Okay? But we run to the name above all names. Satan is not the name above all names. Lucifer is not the name above all names. The devil is not the name above all names. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Father has given Him a name which is above every name. Alright? And that's our Lord and Savior. And so the righteous run into it and is safe. And I'll just encourage you with this. It encourages me. Our God is God. Okay? Our God is greater than our enemy. Jesus said uh, unto them, He said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. In Luke chapter 10. The Lord saw him fall. Our God is greater. He's the one that kicked him out. Okay? Thrust him out. It wasn't Satan's choice. It was God's choice. Alright? And He thrust him out. He says, I beheld Satan fall like lightning. And so our God is God. And there's a wonderful scripture we quote it all the time, 1 John 4, 4. And it says, uh, it says you, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. The deceivers and so forth. Ye are of God, little children. Born again men and women. Because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. He that is in us is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord of glory. His Holy Spirit actually living in us is greater than He 
that is in the world. Satan is called the God, little g in the Scriptures, of this world. He does have that place. He does that, have that authority because God gave it to him. Okay? He does have that place, but greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. Our God is Almighty. Our God is a God of love. Our God is an uncreated God who created all things, including Satan. Our God reigns supreme. Our God is His kingdom and His authority is from everlasting to everlasting. Satan's power and rule is mighty, but it's not almighty. Satan is mighty, but he's not almighty. His rule is... Mighty, but it's limited by the Lord. I don't know that because the Bible tells us that. It's limited by the Lord. It's limited in its duration. It's limited in a couple of ways. It's, God has given Satan a measure of power, okay? Over men and over the earth. He's allowed him to walk in a certain place of authority, and he hasn't stopped him yet. He's allowed him to walk in that. At the same time, he's greater and he shows himself greater than anybody, to anybody that put their trust in the Lord. It's almost like a battleground where he proves day by day in the life of a weak believer, we're just weak, we're just pathetic. You know what I mean? And he saves us and he shows himself mighty, mightier than our arch enemy day by day. So he's allowed Satan a measure of authority. He's limited in his authority. He's not almighty. God limits what He can do. Look at Job's life, right? Such a perfect biblical example. He comes and He wants to just do anything He wants uh, to Job. And God says, have you considered My servant Job? There's none like Him in the earth. The Lord said, uh, Satan says to the Lord, well, He just serves you because you blessed Him so much. You put a hedge of protection. That's important. We see that. God put a hedge of protection around Him. I can't get to Him. The Lord says, I'll tell you what. I'm going to let you get to him. I'm going to let you get to him. You go do your worst. But he did limit him, right? Spare his life. You're not going to kill him. Guess what? Satan would have loved to kill Job. But he didn't kill Job because God limited his authority. So that's repeated over and over in life. God has limited Satan's power. It's great. He's mighty, but he's not almighty. He's checked and kept in check, not by you or me, but by the Lord. He's limited him. And his duration is limited as far as how long is he going to have the authority that he has now. We're going to read towards the end of this sermon how that's all going to play out. But just listen to this. I'm quoting from Revelation 12.12. Woe to the inhabitants, inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he has but a short time. His, t- his duration is limited. Okay? And the Word of God tells us that. Right now, He's walking to and fro in the earth. He's just walking down up in the earth. I just picture Him like a, a bull in a china shop almost. Just going all through the earth wherever He wants to go. And nobody's stopping Him. And nobody's slowing Him down. But He comes against a believer. You know, old, an old person, a young person. doesn't matter physically what they are. A new believer even. And, and, and he, he runs into more than he can handle because of the Lord in him. Greater is he that's in us. God doesn't say you're greater than the devil, but God's, God says greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We have to remember that too. That's why we don't bring a railing accusation either. I'm going to show the devil. I'm going to, I'm going to, no, you're not going to do anything, and neither am I. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. If Michael the archangel did that, then that's, that's the way we need to do. Amen? The Lord rebuke you, Satan. And so, um, he's limited. He's limited by our God. 
But throughout the Bible, we see the greatness of our God. That's who's exalted. The greatness of our God. And we see the greatness of His victory and His unlimited power. And He gives that. This is a blessing. And it's really amazing that God has chosen the weak things right and the foolish things. And He says, I'll make you the head and not the tail. And we're more than conquerors to Him that loved us and so forth. He has given the victory that He's won in His power and His greatness to those that know Him. His people, Old Testament and New Testament, to walk in that authority. It's His authority and power over sin and darkness and Satan and the powers of darkness and so forth. It's in His name. It's by His power. It's by His might. And He's given us that as His children to walk in that and to exercise that authority. But it's the Lord. Amen. It's the Christ, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we go through this life, but we don't have to be overcome by temptation. We don't have to be overcome every time Satan, you know, tries to dangle a little carrot in front of us. We don't have to grab it. Because there is greater as he that's in us. We need to look at that. This is this is of Satan. This temptation. Now my flesh is just my flesh. My flesh is weak and my flesh wants to go after things like that. But I'm not governed by my flesh. The flesh of my life and my carnal nature is not the boss of my life or the master of this life. The Holy Ghost is the master of my life. And so if I will yield to the Lord and to the working of His Spirit, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, you will not, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So Satan does dangle a temptation in front of our lives. I'm not just a dumb, big ox that has to just go, you know, go after it and do whatever he tells me to do. I'm going to walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to flee when I'm supposed to flee. I'm going to be strong in the Lord and, and, and in the power of His might. Amen? But God has given us His victory, His power over sin, the devil, and the temptation. And it's a walk of faith, y'all. It's a walk of faith. This whole walk with the Lord is a walk of faith. I have to believe 1 John 4, 4 as a believer that you're of God, little, little children, and have overcome them because greater is He that's in you than He is in the world. I need to believe that. Not just in my mind, but in my practice. Because there's times it seems so overwhelming. Is God really greater? Is the Lord really in me? Is the Lord in me really greater than what's coming against my life? And we wonder. And we need to be steadfast. And Lord, strengthen my faith. Your Word says it. And I'm going to stand upon Your promise. You know what I'm saying? And we exercise that authority. And so there was a little girl that had just uh, was saved, a little young girl that was saved, and somebody was sort of antagonizing her a little bit and making, almost making fun of her Christianity and said, well, what do you do, little girl, when Satan comes knocking at your door? She said, that's easy. I just let Jesus answer it. <laughs> and, and that really is, a, is the right attitude. She wasn't denying that there was a devil. She was saying, I'm going to let the Lord handle that. And we let Him handle it by faith. We let Him handle it by faith in Him, by, by the Word of God, by prayer, by yield, giving it over to God. You understand? Recognizing Satan's devices and so forth. It's a walk of faith, y'all. And it's an overcoming life. And the Bible says that and this is the victory that overcometh the world. Even what? Even our, our faith. What victory overcomes the world? The world's got all kinds of horrible, terrible, mean, powerful things, and Satan's the god of this world. What overcomes that? This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. A little child can have faith, right? It has nothing to do with you look like Samson or 
big and strong, it has to do with the Lord of hosts that lives inside of us. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Turn to First John chapter 2. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture here. First John chapter 2. We're going to read from 12 through 14. I used to read this and I couldn't quite follow it, but I did some studying and several different commentaries and it made sense what I, what I read. Commentaries that I trust. But if you'll pick up in, in 1 John 2, 12-14. I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. So he's writing to believers, obviously. I write unto you fathers because you have known Him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you have known the Father. I have written unto you fathers because you have known Him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. And I was thinking, what is the young men, the fathers, the children? Young men, fathers, children. What does he switch them all around? I've written this and your sins are forgiven. You're strong. You've overcome the wicked one and so forth. And when I, when I began to study it, it's not just father like you would think of a father or young man like you think of a young man or a child. It has to do with our, our levels of maturity as believers. Like a child would be somebody that just came to the Lord. A young man would be somebody that's, that's starting to grow and mature and, and walk in their faith. Okay, And a father would be somebody that's really mature in their faith. And he says, uh, I've written these things unto you because you have, verse 14, you're strong. Well, it's the Lord that's strong in us, okay? And the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. And so there's a victory that we have in the Lord. He's promised us a victory to walk in. It's possible, okay? It's His victory, and we're to walk in it. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's read another passage there. 19 through 23. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward. So it's a power from God to us. us. Usward who believe. According to the working of His mighty power. So it's obviously God's might in the life of the believer and for the life of the believer. Which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under His feet. That would include Satan. And gave Him to be the head, Jesus to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. I'm really just reading these last couple of passages to see it's a victory that Christ won, and it's His power and might, and that He has appropriated that to us, or bestowed that upon us, and it is a walk of faith that the believer can now walk in that. It's not our, our victory that we won and we went out and won. It's something that Jesus Christ won on the cross. Mm-hmm. And as believers, I'm dead to myself and He actually lives inside of me and my body is this temple and by faith and we can walk in this same victory over darkness and Satan and principalities and temptation and sin. He's given us that. And so what we see... Is, is that the Lord really at His first coming did finish that work that needed to be done. His redemptive work on the cross, a lot goes into that. 
Oh, He died for my sins and rose again. Yes, He did. But a lot, He says, went into it. What we just read in Ephesians went into it. His exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe. This victory over dominions in every name that is named, not only in this world, but in the world to come. And it's to us. And Christ is the head of the church. And when we fall in line with that and we walk as His children, as part of His body, as believers, born again, born of God's Spirit, then we're walking in that victory that He won. Not only are our sins forgiven, but He has made us the head and not the tail. He has placed us in a position of authority under His authority. Okay, And so we walk in that and the Lord allows us to do that. The Bible does say that in the, the first real prophecy about the coming of a Redeemer, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and God was pronouncing His judgment upon the serpent, and He said that the seed of the woman is going to come and crush the serpent's head. Alright? It has to do with a real crushing. Like, the head is where the authority and power is. And He's going to crush that. Well, at His first coming, Jesus did do that. they say, well, why is He still walking to and fro on the earth? Why is Satan still tempting my life and doing things in other people's lives because the Lord has, has basically let it play out in His time. He still is, His days are numbered. He, it's like somebody that has a disease and they're going to die in 10 days, okay? And it's not going to be extended. Satan's days are numbered. And so God put him in His place and He's allowing it to play out while souls hang in the balance. Souls of men are hanging in the balance. Who's coming to Christ? Who's not? The Lord's not willing that any perish but all come to repentance. But a lot are not going to come to repentance. And it's being played out in real time, in real life, all around us. And Satan is trying to gobble up who he can. He's trying to wreck believers' faith so they don't have a strong witness for Christ or any joy in the Lord. And God's allowing this to play out. And every time there's a conflict between darkness and light, if we'll yield, the light's always going to be greater. If we'll trust God, if we'll put our faith in the Lord, He's always going to make a way of escape. He's always going to show Himself overcomer. Even if we died, Satan didn't win. Because to, to live is Christ, to die is gain, Paul said. He didn't get me. I died in the faith. Hebrews 11, all these died in the faith. And that's how we die. We go to the absence of the bodies to be present with the Lord. And so we go be with the Lord. But Satan did crush. The seed of the woman did... Uh, indeed crushed the serpent's head. And the Lord is just letting things play out. He knows the exact day when He's going to say to His Son, go get your church. And then there'll be the rapture of the church. And then the clock starts ticking. And there's a seven-year tribulation. And He knows when He's coming back and He's going to set His foot on the Mount of Olives. And He's going to redeem Israel. And He's going to set up a millennial reign. And Satan and the false prophet and the beast are going to be... Uh, are going to be cast into the lake of fire for a thousand years. And all that's going to be played out. It's, it's not going to change. I'm not going to do a rewrite and write a different ending to the book. That's how it's going to take place. And so right now is the way He wants it to be. He wants weak people. I say weak and you understand what I'm saying? We're nothing. We're just nothing. We get a flat tire and we, our whole day's wrecked. We get a cold. We can't go to work. We're weak. Okay, but we're born again. And... Every time Satan comes against our lives, if we'll look to Jesus like the little girl, let Him answer the door, trust Him, and trust in the Lord, every time He's going to show that He's greater. And just put Satan in His place again and again and again. He wants there to be that. He wants to show Himself strong. 
He wants to show Himself mighty through those that know Him and believe Him. We're weak and pitiful, and yet our God is mighty. And He wants to show that power and might and His goodness through our lives. And so we see Satan, the accuser of the brethren. That's another name that he's given. Opposing the Lord. We see the, uh, Satan opposing, okay, trying to hinder, stop, oppose, steal, kill, and destroy from the believer, from the church of the living God, from our families. He's against Israel. He's against the Bible. He's against the word of the Lord. And thus saith the Lord. Satan is opposed to all of these things. But we also see the God of the Bible, our Redeemer and our Lord and Savior, the uncreated God, opposing and defeating Satan Amen. at every turn. At every turn. But he's allowing it to play out. He's allowing these things to happen. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. It doesn't say he won't try to come in. When the enemy comes in like a flood, overcoming you, overwhelming you, God, this is too much. You let all this happen to me. I can't handle it. You're letting Satan win whatever. When the enemy comes in like a flood, Isaiah 59-19, that's where that comes from, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up, lift up a standard against him. It's like a sign or a flag the American flag or whatever, you know, the Christian, God's going to set that standard right there and it's going to repel Satan and stop all his schemes and plans. The Lord's going to do that. Okay? It's the Lord that does that. Just listen to this scripture. I'm going to read one uh, from Acts 26. The Lord called the Apostle Paul. He's recounting his testimony in Acts 26.18 to open their eyes, men's eyes, to turn them from darkness. That's Satan and all... Um, being lost and in sin, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So part of the, the calling on Paul's life was to preach that God, the gospel, the same gospel that we have, to turn men from the power of darkness and Satan unto God. And, and every time when somebody believes, the Lord's able to snatch them right out of the fire. He's able to bring men right out. I don't care how long they've sinned, how far they are gone in sin, how notable of sinner they are, how old they are, and they're on their deathbed. The Lord, if that soul will turn to the Lord, God has the power to bring them right out of the power of darkness and Satan and make them part of His kingdom and His family like that. And Satan can't stop them. They're going to get out of His hands, okay? Because the Lord's going to pluck them right out. He's able to do that when we turn to Him by faith. And so, we see it over and over. The Lord delivering His people. Uh, David from the mouth of the lion. David from the mouth of the the bear. David from the giant Goliath. That would be almost like a type. It wasn't Satan, but that would be almost like a type or a picture of Satan. Cursing God. Blaspheming God. Goliath was, right? Ridiculing God. Mocking the people of God. And here's David, weak. He was not even the biggest in his family among his brothers and siblings. He was the littlest one. Oh, David's out there. Our little kid's out there watching those sheep somewhere. But God was mighty in him. And God used him to kill a bear that tried to steal one of the sheep. And he got the sheep back. And he used him to kill a lion that stole one of the sheep. And he got the sheep back. And then he said, this, this old, big old giant, he's going to be like one of them. He's going to fall like a big tree. Because he says the battle belongs to the Lord. So weakness in a man's eyes against this great man Goliath 
literally huge, had an arm bearer in front of him holding the shield. So it's like two of them got the guy holding the shield, and then here's Goliath behind it, and he's got a helmet and everything else on, and his spear just just his spear weighed 20 pounds. You try to pick up something 20 pounds and throw it like you throw a tennis ball or a baseball. You say 20 pounds not that heavy. Try to pick it up and throw it at somebody. You understand what I'm saying? It's heavy. That's how much his spear weighed. Goliath's spear. And David says, this battle's not mine. He got it. This battle is the Lord's. Okay? And you're going to fall. And he does the little rock in the slingshot and lets it go. Who made it hit perfectly like that? Who made it hit strong enough like that with enough force? One shot, okay? Bing, hits him in the head and literally he fell like a big tree. David jumps on top of him, takes his own sword and cuts his head off, okay? Kind of bloody and gruesome, but, but Satan's not playing games either, okay? And if this would be like a type of Satan or a picture, the Lord put him in his place, Okay? Put him in his place. It was a great victory. I just want to read this uh, from Psalm Psalm 22. If you're taking notes, Psalm 22, 9-21. Be thou, but be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. This is something David prayed. Deliver my soul from the sword and my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. Satan is, is, is described as a lion, right? For thou hast heard me. He said, you've heard me. And so he's crying unto the Lord for deliverance. I want to look at another passage, if y'all would turn with me. And we're not going to be too much longer, but turn to Zechariah in the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 3. I want to, from now to the end of this message, I want us to look at God's power, His might. I don't want you to be discouraged and I don't want to be discouraged. I want us to see the, the power of the Lord in the life of, of His people and on behalf of His people. Zechariah chapter 3. And this might not be something that you're very familiar with, this passage. But Zechariah 3, let's begin at the beginning of the chapter. And He showed me Joshua. Zechariah says, The Lord showed me Joshua, the high priest. That was a real priest in his day standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. So here's, I don't know if Joshua the high priest saw this, but Zechariah was the Lord to let him see Joshua the high priest by the Lord and Satan right there trying to oppose him. Okay? Trying to oppose, to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan, even the Lord that had chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. Is not this, speaking of Joshua, a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. There was probably sin. There was probably uncleanness. There was things in the priesthood that weren't the way they were supposed to be. Certainly things in Israel that weren't the way they were supposed to be. But yet that was still God's man. Okay, That Satan was trying to oppose and resist. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, So the Lord says to probably angels and people around Joshua, Take away the filthy garments from Joshua, from him. And, and uh, unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. And I said, Let them set up a fair mitre upon his head. And they set a fair mitre upon his he- head, and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by. 
that's all I wanted to read from that. I just thought it was is it significant. We're talking about what is a believer's dealings with the, the devil. I think a lot of times we may not even be aware of the Lord helping us, probably many times. But in this picture, the Lord rebukes Satan who is opposing the priest of God. And then he says to the man of God, he says, I've forgiven your sins. And he says to people standing by, take off those dirty clothes that Joshua has on. Put on good, clean, priestly garments. Set the right mitre upon his head and so forth. It just pictures to me the working of the Lord in, the, in our lives, whether being lost to be, being saved, or even a saved man that may have fallen into sin or backslidden in some way. And the Lord, Satan, thinks he's got him now. And we see the Lord rebuking. You know, no, no, I've forgiven his sins, okay? And I'm going to clean him up. And I'm going to put that right robe of righteousness and, and get him cleaned up the way he should be. And the Lord just rebuked Satan, and he was rebuked. Amen? Resist here, where it says that the Satan tried to resist him. That means to attack, to accuse. Okay? And though Satan's going to buffet, he is going to buffet. You know what I mean? What a buffet like? You'll be going down the road, you're walking real uh, well with the Lord, and something kind of knocks you off balance a little bit, and it's uh, a trial, a valley, an adversity, a distraction, something gets your eyes off the Lord, or maybe a real severe blow that really tests your faith. Okay? We've had all of the above in our lives and we'll have them. And yet, Satan's going to try to buffet, but he wants to sift us as wheat. Right? Isn't that what the Lord told Peter? Simon, Simon, Satan has desired. Personally, him, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Sift means to riddle with holes, like bullet holes. Just to shoot you all up. He goes, but I have prayed for you. What specifically? That your faith fail not. Satan wants to riddle our faith. Even as believers, he wants to shoot it full of holes. Well, I prayed to be healed and I wasn't healed. I prayed for my dad to be healed and he died. And so, therefore, we fill in the blank. God is, Satan wants to say, see, he doesn't answer your prayers. He's not good. He's not kind. He's not able. He's not powerful. The Bible's not true. And on and on and on. But the Lord is praying for us at the right hand of the Father. Okay? That our faith fail not. I don't believe that's just for Peter. He says, I pray for you that your faith fail not. And guess what? His, he was riddled, but his faith didn't fail. Peter, he denied the Lord three times. He'd never gone through anything like that in his life. He never would again as far as we know. But when you are converted, it doesn't necessarily mean saved, when you come back, when you're turned around, basically, and you get back where you're supposed to be, you go and strengthen your brothers. That's what the Lord told Peter when he prayed for him. So I'm going to bring this to a close. What are we called to do in this battle? So, you know, we see it's the Lord's victory. It's the Lord's strength. What are believers called to do? What is my part in this? And I would say just a couple of things, and it's from the Bible, okay? I don't want to add to it. Trust in the Lord. Submit to Him, okay? Keep our eyes upon Him, our faith in Him. The battle belongs to the Lord. The Bible tells us that. Okay, it's his battle. This is not just you thinking I'm going to get up and fight the devil today. We'd be overcome. This is an ancient battle that's been going on between the Lord and Satan and the powers of darkness. And you and I are now part of God's family and part of His kingdom, but the battle still belongs to Him. So what am I supposed to do? Trust in the Lord. Okay, submit to God. The Bible says in James four seven, submit yourselves therefore to God. 
We've talked about submission. It's a willing thing. Not God beating you into place. It's you submitting to His authority and saying, God, I, I give you my life. All of it. Every area of my life. And every time self wants to rise up and my self wills to do this, but God's will is this, I'm going to surrender to Your will. That's submission in every area. Okay? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Not to Satan. Not to His plans over your life. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Okay? Or the Bible says, uh, for example, in 1 Peter 8 9, we talk about be sober, be vigilant. Be sober, be vigilant. That means I'm serious minded. That means we don't laugh and have fun. When it comes to my walk with God, it's not a joke. When it comes to Satan coming against my life, my church, my family, my home, this is not kids' play. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Peter and I watched these nature shows. We watched them last night. National Geographic, most deadly, deadliest week ever. <laughs> the lions are jumping on the backs of the gazelle or whatever. But they're, they're hiding in the grass, the lions are. And they can be very patient. And they blend in with the grass. But they're there nonetheless. And the little gazelle is going around eating its grass. And one kind of gets strayed from its mama. And the rest of the herd moves this way. And the lion says, that's the one. That one that got left behind there. And there's no match. If there's a whole herd of them, the lions would never attack. Even a gazelle, do you think, doesn't have any real weapons. They're not going to attack a whole herd of 150 or 200 pound animals. They're just not going to do it. But they see one. Okay? And we are to, to be sober and vigilant. Because he's seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfastly in the faith. Resist here means a rebuke, and resist means to forbid, to straightly charge, to stand against, to oppose, to withstand. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's what the Bible says. And so that's where our strength comes from. Above all, Paul says in Ephesians, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. All of them. Satan's pulling not just bow and arrow, he's pulling fiery darts that want to hit you and then flame up. Flame up into bitterness. Flame up into uh, jealousy. Flame up into fear. Flame up into lust. Whatever it may be. So it's an arrow and if it sticks, then it's if we let it, it's going to take over and spread. It's, it grows into a lot more than it started to be. Okay? And so he says, you take that shield of what? Faith. Faith in Almighty God. The just shall live by faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. Wherewith you're able to quench. Quench would mean like put them out. Smother them out. Throw water on them. You quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, he said. And God's power is able to do that. I'm going to read a couple more Scriptures just in closing. In Luke chapter 10, And the seventy returned again with joy. The Lord has sent them out on a little trial run mission trip saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through Thy name. The devils are subject. They were new believers pretty much. They were going out and the Lord sent them out. Even the devils are subject to us in Your name. How do they know that? Because they put it to practice. Redeemer possessed people, they ran across. And they cast the devils out because they were subject to these believers in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture. Luke 10, 17-19. And nothing shall by any means hurt you, notwithstanding, and this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you. He takes that for granted. Spirits are subject to you. Yes, they are. I've given you that power. 
but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Amen. That's the greater source of rejoicing. And so I'm going to I'm going to sum up with this that back to the, the scripture we open with. Neither give place to the devil. And I, and I wanted to look up place means place, right? Well, I looked it up in the Bible in the Greek. Place means a location, a position, a home. So now we're starting to really talk about something. Don't give a home to the devil. Don't give him a home. Okay? It means an occupancy, a license, a room, an opportunity. All those are definitions for the word place. Opportunity, a home. Can a believer, let's ask the question, can a born-again believer give a place to the devil? Can I give him an opportunity? Absolutely. Can I give him some kind of home? Yes, I can. So the Bible is telling me as a commandment, neither give place to the devil. Because we can't. How can I do it? How can a believer give a home or an opportunity to Satan? We can't all the time. We have to fight it daily. Okay? There's a rest that's coming. But in this life, there's struggles and there's daily ongoing things and we don't rest, so to speak. We rest in Jesus, but we don't stop from serving God or praying or calling out to the Lord or help me, deliver me. We're constantly doing that, right? How can a believer give place to the devil? An opportunity or a home in our thoughts? I think that's the biggest battlefield that we have, y'all, is our minds and our thoughts. Worry, fear, lust, jealousy, envy, uh, bitterness. We can allow, instead of forgiving like the Lord says, we can hold on to a grudge. And after so much much time, it's not a little grudge anymore. It's sprung up a root of bitterness and it's a root. And I can't get it out now. And then I've got to go to the Lord and have Him deal with my heart about it. He can get it out. But certainly we can give place to the devil. Unforgiveness. Uh, like I said, get in, in our thoughts. And so, um, we don't have to try to overcome Satan in our own strength. We need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And He is more than able. And so, I'm going to close with this thought that uh, we have a very real adversary in the devil. An arch enemy, okay? Uh, an opponent in a legal suit who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But praise God, we have an advocate as well. We have an adversary. We saw it in Joshua the high priest's life and we just read in Zechariah. We have an adversary, but we have an advocate. And our advocate is Jesus Christ the Lord. And that word for advocate means intercessor, comforter, helper. Helper. We have a helper who's greater and our God is able to to help us and protect us and bring us through. Now I want to close with this because I want to just I want to leave you uh, thinking that Satan's just going to go on and on. The, the scriptures speak of the ultimate defeat of Satan. Let me read these two. If you're taking notes, I'll, I'll give it uh, Revelation 12, 10 and 11. Revelation 12, 10 and 11, and Revelation 20, verse 10. Two different times mentioned here, two different events actually. But I'm going to read the first one. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren, as Satan, is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame them, the believers, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Revelation 20.10 This is at the end of the millennium. Okay? when Satan is put down once and for all, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. That's at this time where they are. 
and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Again, I've seen bumper stickers on cars. I'm going to hell. I can't wait to get to hell because I'm going to have a big party. All my friends are going to be there. I'm paraphrasing. Okay? A horrible bumper sticker. But, but it's also a horrible misconception. There's not going to be a party in hell. Satan's not the king of hell. He's not the ruler of hell. Like you see in the cartoons and all the little shows, somebody's cast down there and they get down there and Satan just toys with them and lords it over them and bosses them around. Satan is going to be tormented day and night in hell. Okay, and I want to read that because we're talking about the greatness of our God. And I want to close with this scripture. Last scripture, D. You can come on if you would. Daniel 10, 18 and 19, if you're taking notes. Daniel 10, 18 and 19. Then there came again and touched me. This is Daniel praying. And he had seen a vision. The Lord had given him a vision about Antichrist. Remember how Daniel, a lot of his visions correlate with Revelation and with the appearance of Antichrist and things like that. And Daniel saw it way, way in, in the future. All right? And he was sick when he saw Antichrist, the little horn and the great blasphemies that came out of his mouth. He was literally sick to his stomach. It made him nauseous and sick. And he didn't have any strength and he was praying for understanding. Then there came and touched me one like the appearance of a man and strengthened me and said, so this angel comes and touches Daniel and strengthens him and said, O man greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee. Be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened. And he said, Let, and, and I said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. And I just want to use that encouragement for ourselves. He saw Antichrist and was just sick, and it was he probably saw him in a way we've not seen. You understand what I mean? This end times vision of the real revelation of Antichrist. He's the beast. He's horrible and wicked. And it's Satan in the flesh. I mean, it's just incarnate <coughs> evil. And he saw this and the blasphemies that came out of his mouth and everything. He was literally sick. And God touches him and strengthens him right away. And says, be strong, O man greatly beloved. Yea, be strong. It's going to be okay. It's going to be alright. And he goes, when he touched me, I was strengthened. And so, the Lord strengthens us, y'all against our enemy. And so, again, when the, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. So I want you all to stand. I want us to thank the Lord. I want us to be thankful and rejoice in the Lord for the victory that we have in the Lord. And 